Welcome to the Women Count Podcast, a show dedicated to inspiring women in the data and digital profession. Our mission is to showcase the incredible skills and expertise of female leaders and data scientists who are making a difference in their field. Our podcast was created with the belief that every story shared has the power to connect, inspire, educate, and uplift others. Throughout this series, we're thrilled to feature exceptional women in the data and digital industry who have shattered glass ceilings and overcome obstacles to achieve their success. Join us as we delve deep into their journeys of triumphs and challenges, exploring both leadership and technical perspectives. I'm Charmaine McGowan. I'll be your host for the technical stream of the Women Count podcast. Get ready to be inspired, educated, and empowered. Welcome back to another captivating episode of Women Count. I'm your host, Charmaine McGowan, and today we have the pleasure of diving into an empowering conversation with Susan McGinty, a true champion for women in STEM leadership. Susan's journey began with a childhood fascination for science and technology. As she grew, so did her determination to pursue a career in STEM. Throughout our chat, Susan opens up about the challenges she's faced as a woman in a male-dominated field, the self-doubt and the lack of role models that threatens to hold her back. But here's the inspiring part. Susan refused to let those obstacles define her. She embarked on a mission to empower women in STEM, guiding them to develop their own leadership skills and navigate the unique hurdles they encounter. Drawing on her coaching experience, she helps women become the authentic leaders they should be who uplift and transform their teams. Without further ado, Susan, welcome to the podcast. I guess we'll start with what motivated you to working in STEM in the first place? Oh, yeah. So I kind of start out the chapter in my book with with this kind of introduction to myself as a child, which was someone who was like really curious. Yeah. And I used to, I used to like reading the encyclopedias. I used to love looking for new knowledge, new bits of information. Me too. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, when I read your book and it said, I was always curious about the why. I was like, you're talking to the same person. Yes. Yes. So I was always curious about the why. And I, my mum was a nurse. She'd been a nurse before she had children. And so I used to really enjoy reading all her nursing reference books and also her drug reference book. I got really interested in that. What are the side effects of drugs? What do drugs do? How do they like how do they operate in the body? And so that's I guess that that curiosity about why and wanting to know how things worked and particularly around the human body was something I took through high school and then into university because the the degree I studied was a medicinal chemistry degree, which is essentially learning how to design drugs for the human body. Wow. So, yeah, I, I don't think I really – I think I'd forgotten that link between my early childhood when I was re- starting to read all those you know, yeah. biology-related books and my degree until I wrote the chapter for my book. I went, oh, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Often we do forget how it all started and – I remember one time I was counting the different cars that went past in my street. I think I was about five or six on all the different colors. And so already I thought, oh, my goodness, that must have been the start of the numbers and the aggregation. Yeah. (laughs) So you always think back to all the types of things that really kind of got you into, I guess, the career that you have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then once I got into science... It's really unusual. Well, when I went to university, it was really unusual that anyone did a completely straight science degree with no other subjects beyond science. But ours was completely tailored and it was, every single subject was a science subject. So sometimes I felt like I got no reprieve, but I loved the things I was learning, like anatomy, physiology, yeah. drug design, chemistry, all the different types of chemistry. Physics I liked less. I only had to do that in first year, thank goodness. Yeah, I, I actually failed at physics at school, but then redid it at college. Absolutely loved it. And it was all to do with the teacher. Yeah, yeah. So I'm finding that if you have a sponsor in school, you know what it feels like, what it looks like. Yeah. And then when you identify those in your career, it feels like you're flourishing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I feel like that's probably a, a bit of what you do with your, is it Aya? Aya leadership? Aya. Aya oh, is Aya. how we pronounce it, yeah. Ah, so yeah. I put on my little note saying, it's actually said Aya. <laughs> and the African fern. I'm like, no, I've yes, got it wrong. So, so I'm not sure how the African culture says it, but I say Aya. Okay. All right. So how did how did Aya come about? Like clearly something happened in the pub in academia that just where you just felt like you were blocked. There was no kind of career progression. Mm. Where to from here? Yeah, so my journey in, in science research, kind of all the challenges converged when I started having, when I decided to have a family. Yes. Oh my and goodness. what's so interesting is that I didn't have a lot of female role models around me in the university setting and in the research setting especially. And the ones that were in my vicinity were either younger, but they were putting off having a family until they got a permanent tenured position. Because otherwise their job was at risk, otherwise it's too difficult with the publication track record that's, that was required to get a, a permanent job or even a three-year rolling contract job. And at the other end of the scale were older women who had their children already, they'd left their research careers, they'd had children, then they were coming back and kind of really having to start again at the bottom. Oh, goodness. So seeing that was a bit of a off. Yeah, so it really was, but because I'm independent and stubborn, I thought, well, no one's going to tell me how I'm going to run my life. <laughs> I'm going to break this. <laughs> so I didn't necessarily think I was going to break it, but I just thought, well, they've had to choose between their families and career, and I don't want to have to choose that. But if I have to, I'm absolutely going to choose a family. Mm-hmm. I was I was enjoying my my research career, but I wasn't on – because of a couple of choices I made about which jobs I took when I finished university and because I hadn't known to invest in mentors and sponsors and networks, the trajectory I on wasn't a superstar trajectory. And that, that was okay with me. I'd do things differently if I had my time again. But yeah, I chose, I chose family and that kind of then led me down this path where I had very limited opportunities to return to research Without conditions and and particularly in the sort of geographic location that suited me where, where we lived. Do you think things have changed now today or do you think we're still stuck in that 20 years ago type scenario? Yeah, it's a good question, Charmaine. I think unfortunately we're too stuck in this, a similar, similar scenarios to what we used to be. There's been some great progress made in the academic research sector with the SAGE program, Science and Gender Equity program, which uh, enables and supports and encourages universities to set gender equity-related infrastructure in mm-hmm. place so that it's, it's easier for women to succeed and, and follow the career path that they choose to. Last year, the NHMRC made it an incredibly disruptive and courageous decision which I was so excited about in that their research funding is going to be split 50-50 male female whereas previously and with with all research funding it's competitive so great move by the NHMRC that's fantastic and that's going to have an impact but we won't see that for a few more years it's usually the case that like policies they implement the policy but you don't get to see the impact of it until like three or four years down the track. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. When I started looking at the data again over the last few years around how many women are getting academic research jobs, are staying in that industry, are getting grants, I was disappointed to see that it was still so low. Oh, really? Yeah. It seems similar to the big influx of women entering their studies in the STEM field and hadn't graduated and taken a different route. They've just left the schooling altogether. And there's a similar retention issue with retaining women in in STEM workforces, which is it's a big focus for some parts of the STEM sector. Mm. Others haven't yet put enough attention on it, I don't think. But the time's come. We absolutely need to really amplify our efforts and make some really quick advances because we can't wait to get – we can't wait – 10 years, let alone 20, 30, 40, 50, to get gender equity in STEM. So it sounds as though we need programs that will 
I guess, uplift and sponsor more women. So with your leadership company, yes. how do you then bring that to, I guess, public service or private companies? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking. So A Leadership is a specialized leadership development partner for STEM organizations. We work with women in STEM to build their leadership confidence, capabilities and opportunities and experience. And we do that through education, resources and coaching, which we sort of pull together in some of our really tailored, bespoke and very unique leadership development programs for STEM women. We also work with STEM organisations, not just to support their STEM women in their leadership development, but to help them focus on growing their leadership pipeline because they need to be, I mean, leadership, gender equity and leadership is important at all levels, mm. not just at the senior level. We need the pool of talented female emerging leaders to deliver the talented team leaders, middle management leaders and senior leaders. So it needs to be a focus at all levels is how I approach the problem set. So I work with female leaders at all levels. And with organizations, we, we help them think about what retention challenges they have, what barriers they have present in their own organization. So let's take a look. Let's identify what they are. Then let's figure out, let's look at strategies appropriate to you and your environment to help really get rid of those barriers for women. I'd actually attended one of your courses at the Women's Public Sector Summit. Oh. And I was quite blown away at how simple the strategies are, but we just didn't quite think about them. So you talked about the, is it the four or the six Ps? The five the Ps. The five Ps. Yeah. <laughs> Almost got it. And I just thought, yeah, this, this applies to every situation. Why have we not, like, why is this not common knowledge? Yeah. And yeah, I, I'm, I think we could all do with a bit of AA leadership. Yeah. Thank you. So with organizations, we help them to think about, well, what are the strategies they need to put in place to, for example, get more women into decision-making processes? Because even if there isn't equal representation of women in leadership roles, it's really important to get that equal representation of women in decision-making processes. So there's things organizations can do to get women involved in those decision-making processes. That's also giving them leadership development opportunities. So looking at also how can organizations use different mechanisms to grow their female leaders beyond just formal training? You don't have to be a manager of, of people, though, to be a leader, do you? Absolutely not. And I no. think that's where a lot of people, it's like that iceberg scenario or where you see 10% of the iceberg, but there's a lot yeah. of, of things underneath it. And I feel like we've always kind of pigeonholed leaders as managers of people, but Everyone can be a leader in their own right as long as they're passionate about it. And I assume you see this all the time. Absolutely. And a lot of people pigeonhole themselves saying, well, I'm not a leader because I don't manage people. So I talk about two different types of leadership, informal and formal. So formal leadership is that sort of the fact that you have a leadership role or you lead a team. Informal leadership is the leadership that those who might not necessarily have a, a management or leadership title or specific role. It's, it's the work they do. So they're actually leading collaborations. Mm. They're engaging and leading their stakeholders. They're helping people solve problems by bringing together different people, different sets of information, making sense of that, and then helping people get to the purpose or the vision and taking them on that journey, keeping them motivated, engaged, and advising along the way. That's all leadership. Yeah. Yeah. I also find that and, and over the last couple of years, I've noticed that you can create your own leadership role. You don't, it doesn't have to be assigned to you by somebody. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And how amazing if more people would, would sort of stand up and take that yeah, um, initiative and create their own informal leadership roles and think about how they're contributing their expertise more fully to, to the STEM problems that we have, that we're facing and we have to solve. Well, I mean, you're just a prime example. You, you saw a problem in the STEM industry and you went, oh, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to be a, a leader. I'm going to develop my own company. What do you say to the people that are looking for that? So I think it's really important to start with understanding who you are, 
what your values are, what your expertise is, what what do you feel your purpose is and what is it that you want to contribute with your specific sets of expertise and experience and then and then go looking for it and get some support around you. Find out who it is that is interested in you helping them and if it's not within your current organisation, well, then maybe it's outside your current organisation. But find find the people that you can help and yeah. and see how they can support you. Who are your your advocates? Who are your mentors? Oh, so I have a business mentor who is incredible. But when I first started out, I had a couple of key people who were really supportive of me. They saw in me more than I saw in myself, and they Isn't really it often the case. Yeah, yeah, and and really believed in me and advocated for me and talked to others about me. And as I was just starting to to get my business out there, starting to coach people, my first leadership pilot program, these were the people supporting that and then tell everyone, telling everyone how amazing it was and putting their staff on it. And, and even still there today, they're friends of mine, but, but they also still advocate for me and send people, send clients to me. I really like that you shared that. That's really yeah. nice. Yeah. So I think it's important that we have people to support us along the way that believe in us. And in an organisational context like a big tech company or even a small tech company or the public service, for example, that might look like a manager. Mm. It might look like someone else is in a leadership role. But we need people who can support us, who we can go to and ask for help and give us guidance. Sometimes it's the role of mentor. Sometimes it's the role of sponsor. They can do, the same person can do, play various roles, but then various people can play various roles as well. So how did AYA start? When I left the research space, I went into public service and I worked in, in defence. You were in Canberra? No, I came to Canberra for the job. Interesting. Yeah, okay. we, left, we left the beach to come to Canberra. Can you believe it? So I was still using my chemistry background because I was, it was a STEM role. And so I, I spent most, most of my time in defence, I spent leading STEM-related technical teams. So I was providing science-related policy advice, advice on military issues, and also to some of our government bodies that fed into international decision-making. It was a lot of fun. And it sounds like you, you saw a skeleton and you were able to transfer it within whatever industry in STEM that you wanted to work with. Oh, I think you've just described me, Charmaine. I'm not sure that I'd skeleton, but... But yeah, that's exactly, I think that's exactly what I did. I didn't realize I was doing it at the time, but I'm always looking for where can I take my knowledge and skills and, and apply it somewhere else to to kind of create some change and some impact there. And I, that's exactly what I did with AR. So I loved working in, in the public sector and in defense, and I spent a little bit of time at, at DFAT in, in more recent years as well. But that's where I really sort of learnt about leadership and, and how to be a leader. And did you get a manual when you joined? <laughs> so that's the thing. There's no there's no manual, and and this was the challenge for me. But it was also a challenge for women around me because you'd see that up to a certain level, there'd be sort of fifty percent women, fifty percent men, very close to, and then the next level had dropped down to twenty five to thirty percent, and then it kind of stayed that way. But then it dropped even more as it went up into the the yeah. SES. And the women around me that, that I was either leading or who worked alongside me or worked in my vicinity, I was, I was coaching them, I was mentoring some of them, I was supporting them and, and trying to help them progress their careers. And there was quite this feeling that actually it was really difficult to do that and that sort of intersection of being woman and STEM woman mm -hmm. in particular yeah. was challenging for them. So I never, I never felt that you know, leadership, you don't get taught how to be a leader exactly, but I want more women in leadership roles in STEM and I, I guess I took what I thought I wished I'd had earlier in my career, what they were saying they wanted and I developed it into, took all the learnings I had, all my experiences of all the things I'd done wrong <laughs> where I'd really bombed out. I spent some time learning about, neuroscience and emotional intelligence and strengths and different communication styles and how to influence. I did, I did a lot of learning mm -hmm. and put that all together into a really bespoke program for STEM women. And I also use it 
to support women in cybersecurity as well, which is still STEM. STEM. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. That's amazing. So how long were you in the public service for? So I was in the public service for 14 years. That's yeah. a long time. Yeah. And I sort of the last the last four years I started to build my professional coaching and then a leadership. Do you think the public service is well set up that way that they were able to provide you training to get to the stage where you were at? Or was it just something innate inside you that you just went, I'm just going to take these ex- external courses because I know this is good for my development? So I think for me, I didn't feel like I got certainly got a, one or two leadership development opportunities as in training programs, but they barely touched the surface. Mm, and yeah. I did a really great leadership development course in, I don't know, about 2015 or 2016 with Women in Leadership Australia really opened my eyes to, okay, this this is a deeper level of leadership. This is what I need to be thinking about as a leader. Yeah. So yeah. you really did have to kind of dig deep and look for external sources to really help grow your career. Yes, yeah. I did. Having said that, I don't know what the entire public service provides mm. and I know that there's, there's some, I've certainly seen some, departments and and agencies putting renewed focus or focus on leadership development which I think is fantastic yeah and and that brings me to my next question about have you heard of that saying you can't be what you can't see yes and absolutely this is I guess the thing with trying to promote more of women in leadership roles yeah exactly so I think it's really important some people I just want to say that some people sort of say every now and again, I hear people saying, well, if you can only be what you can see, then you're limiting yourself. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. But I also know that there's a lot of truth in seeing what might be an option or a possibility for you. Yeah. And so seeing fantastic female leaders doing great things and changing the face of STEM, changing cultures, changing organizations is really inspiring. What I've really learned working with female STEM leaders and emerging leaders particularly, is that they don't resonate with the style of masculine leadership that that usually often surrounds them because they're working in male-dominated environments. Mm. And so they self-exclude from leadership because they think, well, that's not me. I don't meet what a leader is in this organisation. So what we do is we start from scratch and we help them build their own idea of what leadership looks like to them mm-hmm. because leadership isn't one size fits all. It's not one mold. Yeah, Anyone can be a leader with the right development and learning and the fact that we have different leaders is great, right, because it 100%. brings diversity. Yeah. And so we get them connected with what it means for them to be a leader, what's their leadership purpose, what are their strengths, what values do they bring to their to themselves as a potential leader or a current leader and then how do they want that to play out in the workplace in how they behave in how they bring people together and it's a fabulous little journey to watch people going from having no idea what their values or purpose is or the type of leader they want to be to then having a real clarity around the type of leader they want to be how they're going to go about doing that and the impact they want to create it sounds like you're doing an amazing job in transforming these ladies. I myself has have gone through a similar program and I have noticed that seeing the value is the first step, 100%. If I, if I didn't know what I brought to the table, mm. then how am I going to influence people? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, the work, the work that I do is transformational and... I think a lot of that's got to do with the relationships that I build with with the people, the women I work with. It's the fact that I believe in them and I can see so much in them and so they learn to believe that in themselves as well. But then we give them, we give them theory that makes sense. We give them practical strategies that they can put in place easily and, and that all builds their confidence. Yeah, I love it. That's great. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> 
and you make you make friends with people that you never thought you would have met. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So some some of the women that I've worked with three or four years ago, I I still catch up with, and they're sending their stuff to work with me, and I'll want an opinion on something, so I'll ask them, or I'll they'll keep me up to date on what's going on in in the industry or what their challenges are. Yeah, and that makes it easy for me to know how I can help them best. So you focused more on building women, but how do you get the executive on board to deliver this information? Because you kind of need that executive sponsor to say, yes, we need more of this to happen. Yeah. And that's, that's challenging for a couple of reasons. Everyone's really working really hard. So many priorities on their plate and For some organizations, they absolutely recognize that they would like to have more women in leadership roles. They absolutely recognize that gender diversity is important. If they don't, if they don't come along with gender diversity, they're going to get left behind as an organization. They're not going to be able to compete. So I speak to organizations and I speak to leaders and they, they know that it's something they need to invest in, but, but they're not all quite ready just yet. Yeah. Well, now with the influx of chat GPT and things like that, I think they they have their own personal assistant to help them out now. So they yeah. should be able to invest in these programs. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think that there there's much more room to move on the dial around actually valuing the contribution that women bring as leaders. STEM's got quite a masculine culture. It's logical and it makes sense, mm. uh, but actually it's, it, it should have been changing over the last 10 years and we haven't really seen much of an output or changing output as far as more women in leadership roles or much greater gender, gender diversity. So I think there's lots of room to, to move on mindsets. And You're right, yeah, mindsets. Yeah. Yeah. It is, is a shift in mindset and that goes along with change management. Absolutely. Or change transformation. Yeah. I would like to know about things that you do to, to become the leader you are. So when I first was in a sort of informal slash then a formal leadership role, I didn't know nearly enough about leadership to be effective. <laughs> but some things I just did naturally and that was okay, but I had a lot to learn. So I'm still on a leadership learning journey, absolutely. And so I can remember some terrible actions I took as a leader 15 years ago around communication, decision-making. I bet you it was when your kids were young and you were tired and sleep-deprived. All those things, absolutely, yes, (laughs) yes. yes. It's usually the case. Yes, but – and I've worked a lot on my own emotional intelligence Mm. and that's a crucial part of being a great leader, having – Using your having an understanding your emotional intelligence and using it effectively, and I've put a lot of effort into growing that. I've put a lot of effort into growing my communication approaches and my influenceability. And what does that look like, influenceability? Because I hear that a lot that you've got to be able to negotiate, you've got to be able to influence others. But how do you do that? There's got to be a common purpose. What's the common purpose? What's the shared goal? And then it's about how do you take them on that journey to that shared goal? Yeah. You think about them following you down a river on a, on, a, on a boat, on a kayak. They can jump off at any point in time. How do you keep them on that boat, that kayak? Yeah. And not only, not only keeping, that's your team, keeping your team there, but actually then being able to navigate the leaders around you and your organization to the point where you want to go, which is your vision, which is change that you want to create is going to deliver something better for the organization. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's tricky. Some people are just great at it. Some people are great at it. For some people, it's a little bit harder. There's a, I think there's a lot of things that, that are involved. One is your reputation and the trust that people have in you. It's how you're able to sell your ideas and for people, in the STEM sector, it's how do you use data to show a, a new future, a different future or a different pathway that might be more effective than the pathway that you're currently on. Mm. It's also about building rapport with people so that they feel like they might not necessarily want to be your best friend, but they feel like they trust you. Yeah. And a lot of it is about how you 
understand your own power and use your own, own power. So someone might not be able to effectively negotiate in every situation or influence every situation, but if they know what their expertise is, the experience they bring and what their power is, yes. they can use that in a good way to influence outcomes, whether that's a decision that's made or whether that's a whole change approach or whether it's just getting someone who wants to give up back on board feeling quite positive about the situation and motivated. What do you think about the idea of vulnerability? Oh, this is so so this is one of the key things that that I find comes up in in my leadership programs because women feel like they can't be vulnerable because of the masculine environment they're in, yet we tell them that actually vulnerability is the best way to lead people. And it's a bit of an oxymoron. It's a bit it's it's complex. Mm. And I think Vulnerability is a great way to build trust. It's a really important way to build trust. And so you have to learn how to be vulnerable, but at the same time, you've got to be able to do it in a a way that provides you psychological safety and in a way that you're not left feeling too open and, and then leaves you, I guess, at risk of being hurt or any negative consequences for you. Do you often say, what's the what's the worst that could happen? Just try something out. Oh, I say that all the time. Yeah. yeah. I use I use the word experiment because right, it's really appropriate for scientists and technical people to experiment. Oh, so I say go and experiment with this yeah. and collect some data and see what you find out. What do you learn? That's it. I, I feel like everything that I've ever done where I've been vulnerable, if it hasn't worked out, it's been a very good learning journey. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And sometimes when I'm making myself vulnerable, I or I think that I am, I feel that I am, I think about it as an experiment. I think, okay, what data am I going to collect about myself, my own reaction, what I think about other people's reactions, about what the outcome is, about maybe where I said something that could have been said better or presented better or maybe it's around the timing Right, there's so much data that can be collected. I feel like this with the podcast of like being vulnerable, putting it out there, making those connections with people, and it's like just test it and trial it out. Yeah, absolutely. The, so when I talk, when I first start talking to the women that I work with about leadership, I tell them that leadership is complex. That's the first thing you need to know. A leader is a leader because people are following them. Yeah. In order for someone to follow you, you need to understand them, what their preferences are, how to communicate with them appropriately in a way that they understand, listen to their ideas, make them feel safe, make them feel heard and get them excited and motivated and keep them excited and motivated about this particular goal that you're all on. Just note those points there are gold nuggets. Absolutely. Yeah. I think if people can just think about those points and see themselves on what they bring, then they're off to their highest potential. But the complexity comes when you're leading a team of 20 different people or you're you're in charge of another leadership team of like maybe 12 people and they've all got people under them. So you've got to adapt to every person. It's not about people pleasing. It's not about giving everyone what they want. It's about learning how you can adapt to them to bring out the best in them, keep them on board and deliver whatever the goal is. And that's why it's complex because Mm. I can't lead you, Charmaine, the same way as I might lead another person when you have completely different preferences, different different drivers and Mm. different values. Yeah. Yeah. That is so true. And and that's why leadership is a continual growth journey and we're going to make leadership mistakes all the time because we're human. So how do you... How do you manage the dynamics of family, your your personal family, and what you do now with your leadership? It's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. And it's quite a, like you said, you built your emotional intelligence, but you've got to be able to look after yourself. So I am very lucky that my husband is a massive supporter of me and of our family. So when Full disclosure, when my second child was three months old, he took a redundancy from work and stayed at home full-time with the kids for the next five years and I went back to work full-time and he wanted me to 
put the effort into my career, have the time to do that and and be successful in my career. And I dragged him to Canberra. It wasn't a drag, it was a joint decision, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and during COVID, so he went after about five years, he went back to work, but he, he did shift work so that we could still have somebody with the kids all the time. Mm, yeah. And during COVID, we were both working, but but he wasn't working shift work. So we were both working core business hours. I was running my business in the evenings and the weekends and on my flexible days off that, that my organization allowed me to have. And it got a lot. And so he he left his job so that he could take care of the family full time so that I could do both those jobs, knowing that there was an end in sight where I would transition to the business. So I'm really lucky that A, he believed in me and yeah. and believed me when I said to him, I think this is gonna work and I have to this is what this is what I want to do. Yeah. And he's always wanted me to do what makes me happy and he was willing to stay home and look after the kids. I think that's probably a story for another podcast where <laughs> how do you get a man like that? How do you keep him? <laughs> I've learned. So my husband spent years telling me to look after myself, look after my well-being and put myself first. That's uh, beautiful advice. Oh, but I didn't take it. It took me about 15 <laughs> years to take that advice. So Love I finally realized this is what I need to do because I used to think I was superwoman. Who's who can't yeah. who says I can't be superwoman? And <laughs> I when I stopped doing that, I realized how damn exhausting it was. So I finally learned to start looking after myself. It's easier when the kids get older, I have to say. It's yeah. harder when they're younger. But that just made me realize that it's so important to be doing something you love so that you then can be there present completely for your family. Yeah. Rather than, and you turn up to them energized because you've been doing something you love rather than doing something you hate. And mm. then you turn up to them and, and you're not yeah. energized for them. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of a mutual benefit. If you're looking after yourself, then you can't help those if you don't help yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Thanks for sharing. That was a long, <laughs> a long lesson for me to learn. <laughs> Oh, did you have a case study? Would you like yeah. to share? Yeah, I'd okay, love go. I'd love to share a case study with you about someone who I'm going to call Megan. Love it. And she she's a technologist and she's a leader. She's a technologist who's a leader of a technology team, a team of technologists in a technology organization. So when when we started working together, she was reflective of I guess how a lot of women in their mid-career in, in STEM are in that she she was feeling really like she was very stalled in her career and didn't know didn't know who she was, what she was contributing and how she was going to really get back on track with her career. So she just returned to work after the birth of her beautiful third child who was one. So over the previous five years she'd had three years off on maternity leave so she had three gorgeous kids. And she came back to work. She's a team leader. She's back part-time. She finds that a challenge. She finds it a real challenge feeling that she's contributing anything as a leader, as a technologist. She's very, if we think about identity centrality, she sees her identity as, as a mum and she's finding it really hard to... Sorry, say that again? Identity? Identity centrality. Centrality? Yeah. So identity centrality is that, it's how you view yourself. So... Is it viewing yourself just as mother? Is it viewing yourself just as a woman? Or is it viewing yourself as a STEM, as a woman in STEM, as a STEM person, a scientist, a technologist? And so if someone with a strong identity centrality will, if they are a woman who's working in, as, in a STEM or a technology field of expertise, they'll have that balance right. And then if they're a mother as well, they'll, they'll feel like they're meeting all those roles within their own identity. Mm. And it can be really challenging for women to get that right. I've discovered, like, so I kind of knew that from my own experience and the women around me, but the hundreds of women in STEM I've been working with over the past few years, absolutely, it's it's real. So we started working together and we started focusing on, okay, what's what are your core values? Understand yourself more. 
what type of leader do you want to be? What's your purpose? What is your purpose as as a leader in technology? And and just by doing that, she started building her confidence. Mm-hmm. And then we worked, we did coaching. We worked on her emotional intelligence. She did her strengths profile, so she understood what her strengths were. She had a real sense of how she could contribute. And so she started to feel like, okay, I can do this. I am a technology expert after all. And then lots of strategies around communication, around building her team. And she, I recall that she identified her leadership purpose was to develop those around her. So, yep. so about developing those around her. And she really wanted to develop a leadership style that was authentic to her because she didn't align at all with or resonated all with the masculine leadership style that was around her. So you had, she hadn't seen it. She didn't know what it looked like. Her own authentic leadership? Yeah. No, she didn't. Mm. Yeah. So you were able to kind of open her eyes yeah. to Yeah. And so we went through that discovery and it was amazing to watch because, you know, she also got herself a mentor. She tried all the strategies we gave her around influencing, communicating, built her own resilience, which was really important because So important. She's a mother of three young children as well as right. So yep. there's she's got to find this way of looking after herself and recovering from adversity in a positive way. It's all about yeah, putting strategies there. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so she also so one of the so I do a lot of group programs and what I love about that is it's an instant peer mentoring and network for yep. participants, right? So they they share similar journeys but they're all on their own journey, right? So yeah. they're not the same, but they have some commonalities. They understand each other. And so they go on this journey together learning. It's not a competition. Absolutely not. They mm. support each other. Yeah. So it's wonderful to watch because they become friends and then they and they really help each other out with how they're, how they're viewing the, their challenges and how they're implementing strategies. Yeah. I'm a big adv- advocate for having that kind of cohort of people mm go together mm. you may ne- never have met before but you come quite yeah. strong and close at yeah. the end mm. and the social learning element is a, such an important part of learning yeah yeah so so by the end of the time that we'd worked together which was 6 months she was really confident as a leader she was seeing progress in developing her team and her team's performance she was having challenging conversations she was communicating really well she was motivating people she was creating some of that influence. Yeah. She was feeling like in herself she was being the leader that she wanted to be, but she knew she was only at the start of her journey. Yeah. And she was really happy with sort of this balance that she'd created in her identity. So, I mean, she's just one, but so many success stories, are so many so many amazing transformations that we get to be a part of, which That's great. just really lights me up. Oh my goodness, that is like so rewarding. So rewarding, yes. Which is why. I- no, what do you want to do? Exactly. <laughs> How can I not? Yeah, yeah. So, um, if somebody wanted to reach out to yourself and they've seen potential, what should they do? Should they reach out to you? And and what what does the program look like? Yeah. So, we've got a range of programs. We specifically for emerging leaders. So Emerging Leaders is for sort of early career, not yet in formal leadership role. And the Emerging Leaders is really about setting the foundations for good leadership. Yeah. And the then the Leadership Accelerator is really accelerating your leadership potential but also your leadership impact by focusing on a range of different things, including your leadership mindset, your emotional intelligence, your self-awareness, your communication influence, your resilience, and really getting you thinking about how you lead teams as yep. well as yourself. And then we have the Women in STEM Impact Program, which is a, another level up even. So that's for, for women who are leading teams mm-hmm. and they're facing complex challenges usually, one of which is always how they prioritise and manage their workload Yes, and the people that they're leading. So that's a six-month program. It's transformational. And the person that goes in is not the same person that comes out. It's amazing to watch. That's where we get most growth. Like a little butterfly. Yeah. 
So reach out to me, I guess by email or on my website. So airleadership.com is the range of our programs. We've got a couple of other leadership workshops. We have a resilient leader program as well, which just focuses on building resilience in self and team. And and then of course LinkedIn. People can find me on LinkedIn as well. Absolutely. And obviously if you're going to any of those like public sector courses or summits, you I've often seen that you're leading those as well. Yes, yes. I just last week was presenting at the Women in STEM Leadership Summit. Congratulations. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're really, really quite inspiring, those things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yes. I that's how I met you. It is, yes. That's how we <laughs> met last year. Yes. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah, it was quite quite fascinating. Yeah, lots of – I just felt like I was in and amongst my people. Like everyone was trying to do the same thing. Yeah. They're trying to navigate the sea of leadership. Yeah, yeah. And there's so much, I mean, there's so much to navigate and there's, there's so many facets of leadership and there's so much information out there and yeah, it's just a never ending journey. Now, taking you back to your childhood, Mm. I ask everybody this question, what would little Susan say to herself, give her some words of wisdom for setting her up for the rest of her career? Yeah. So as I mentioned, I was quite independent as a child and I thought I just had to do everything myself. So decisions about study, career, the same. I thought I just had to forge ahead myself and whatever I chose would be the right thing. So what I didn't have around me when I was in high school were people who were, I guess, mentoring me or showing me different options for Mm -hmm. what a career might look like in science. And even through university, I didn't have that as well. So what I would say to to younger Susan is look for people. Don't try to do it yourself. Ask for help. Ask people what their pathways were. Look for different pathway options because now in STEM there's, there's an infinite number of opportunities and options that anybody could take. Yeah. And so back when I went, won't say how long ago, but back when I was choosing <laughs> my and, and even throughout my STEM career, I didn't have a lot of insight into what all those options were because I didn't know that I I didn't know that I needed mentors until in my 30s I didn't know that I needed networks either so when you saw successful people did you ask the question like how are they doing it oh that's interesting so I did see around me some of the men being sponsored so I did ask myself how are they being successful? And I'd I'd sort of identify what I thought. I wouldn't go and ask them. I'd just identify what I thought they did and then think, okay, well, how can I maybe think about doing that? Yeah. Or something similar. Or what might I do differently that might get me to the same outcome? So I was certainly thinking about it, but I wasn't asking for help. This is it. It it comes down to having that courage to just go ask. Yeah. And so to my not just to myself, but to every sort of younger woman in STEM, but even every woman in STEM, make sure you've got mentors, diverse mentors, make sure you're part of networks that can give you access to different perspectives, resources, different ideas, different opportunities. So important. One of my first big people challenge with with someone I was leading, it was a mess and I was lucky that I had a mentor who a colleague who was very experienced who really walked beside me as I went through this and I learned so much from him about empathy and actually I've I reflect on that growth point in my journey and his support in one of the articles on my website right yeah it's it's an article about empathy in yeah. leadership and yeah so I've been lucky to have leaders help me out and walk beside me as I've gone through challenging times and mentor me. That's great. So that steers me on to your book. So you share a lot of kind of your beginnings from university all the way through to your leadership program now. Can you tell us a little bit about the book that you helped write that is now, I think, one of the top sellers on Amazon? Yes. So so it's called Women Transforming the Landscape of Science and Tech 
Challenges, Triumphs and Vision for the Future. And it's a compilation of stories from women who have had a career in STEM. So across all the different realms of STEM, so there's some scientists and some life scientists, there's a veterinary scientist, somebody in the aerospace industry. There are numerous technologists, IT leaders, cyber leaders. They're all from around the world as well, aren't they? Yeah, so they are. So really interesting group of women, really interesting group of stories. There's an engineer in there as well. So, yeah, my chapter is titled Transforming the Leadership Status Quo in STEM Mm -hmm. because that's what I'm passionate about. Yeah. Embracing the journey and taking the lead. So it, it it does sort of capture my story from what interested me in science and and how I put that into practice, how my career development and the, the challenges I faced really put me on this path to where I am now, which is helping other women fulfill their own potential, be the best leaders they can be, get greater gender diversity in STEM and really just uplift women. Yeah, I definitely heard that. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was really exciting that it was a number one international bestseller before it was before even launch date. And I think it was a number one bestseller in five countries. Fantastic. Yeah. How did you how did it all come about? Interestingly, the lady who curated this, so it's been curated by Kathy Dirksen, who herself has a, a background in life sciences, so genetics. Yeah. And she reached out to me and asked me, would I contribute? That's lovely. Yeah. It was through, a great through opportunity. LinkedIn or? Through LinkedIn, yes. Don't you just love it? Yeah. So make sure everybody get your LinkedIn profiles up to date. Absolutely. You never know what opportunity is out there waiting for you. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you so much, Susan. That was great. Thank you, Charmaine. Thanks for, thanks for having me. It's been so great to talk to you. Thank you to Susan for a thought-provoking episode of Women Count. And let's reflect on the wisdom Susan shared. She reminds us that leadership is like kayaking against the current. You have to navigate with purpose and embrace your own journey. And speaking of journeys, if you're ready to take charge of your own path in STEM leadership, Susan's coaching business, AIA Leadership, is there to support you every step of the way. Something you have to get your hands on is Susan's number one international best-selling book, Women Transforming the Landscape of Science and Tech. It is a must-read, featuring empowering stories from a diverse range of women working in STEM worldwide. Remember, it's never too late to seek mentors, build diverse networks, and ask for the guidance you need to thrive in your STEM career. Let's continue this conversation and stay tuned for more empowering episodes of Women Count. Until next time, keep counting your worth and making a difference.